Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Um, but Joshua 7... Um, Man, as we get to chapter 7, if you've been here over the last few weeks in this series, you will note that uh, we've, been, we've been following along the story um, of, of Joshua taking leadership of the nation of Israel. After 40 years of wandering in the desert because of unbelief, um, Moses then has died, and Joshua has been made the new leader of Israel. And in all these six chapters, up until chapter 7, don't you remember, like, everything has been, been good, right? Uh, like, Joshua's taking leadership. They've come to the Jordan River. They've, they've come to, to the brink of it when it's overflowing its banks. And miraculously, God parts the, the water, dries up the bed so that they can, they can cross in to this promised land that God had, had given to them. Um, you'll see also, remember, they, they set up memorial stones to remember the work of God so that when the children ask, like, what, you know, what, what do these stones mean? You can, you can tell them about God's faithfulness. Like, all this has been really good. Um, they've walked around the walls of Jericho, right? Seven times. Well, one time for six days, and I think on the seventh day, they walked around seven times. They, they blew their horns and they shouted, for the valley! <laughs> I, I love that one, right? Um, they, they shouted and the walls came down. The walls came down. Everything has been good up until chapter 7. And I, I want to just show you that. If you read the end of, 20, uh, of, of uh, chapter 6, you'll see. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all of the land. This is good. The Lord was with Joshua. Now, look at chapter 7, verse 1. If you, if you don't have a Bible, you can get it in your pew, um, pull it up on your iPad or iPhone, whatever you want. I'm using the ESV version, okay? The first word there is what? But. That's not a good word. That is not a good word. Anytime you see that word in Scripture, it's usually not, not good. Here comes some trouble. And as we look at the trouble, as we read through chapter 7 and, and I explain it, what you're going to see is that, that this trouble was actually something that was very small. To you, it might seem insignificant. It might seem kind of petty. But small things matter to God. Can I tell you that? Small things, they do matter to God. And if you don't believe that small things matter, just try sleeping in a room with a mosquito. Have you ever tried to do that? You can't. <laughs> small things matter, don't they? They do. Try, a, try canoeing without a paddle. I'll tell you a story. One time, um, me and my friend, we... Um, we drove all the way out to Conway Lake. Who's been to Conway Lake? Yeah, most of us. <laughs> we, we put the canoe on top of the car, strapped it all in, drove all 45 minutes, whatever it is, out there. We get there, unload the canoe, put it in the water, and we realize, oh, we forgot the paddles. <laughs> so we strapped it all back up and drove home. <laughs> oh. 
small things, they, they do matter. If you don't believe small things matter, try, try getting a little sliver in your foot. You're going to feel it. Small things, they do matter. And so just one little thing we see changes everything. And so we begin this, as we begin this uh, seventh chapter, I've got some principles that we're going to actually learn through the sin of Achan. You'll see, you'll see that this man's name is listed probably in the chapter title that you have. So let's, let's just start at verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1. Let's, let's read through verse 5 right now, and we'll, we'll just comment throughout this text and, and help explain it and, and apply it to our lives. It says this, But the people of Israel... They broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, and it's spelled A-I, but it's, it's pronounced Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel. And said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and they spied out I. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, don't have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Don't make the whole people toil up, up there for they are few. For about three thousand men went up there from the people and they fled before the Men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of the men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So here's what happened Jericho is the first city that is defeated as, as the nation of Israel has crossed through the Jordan into this promised land. It's been, it's been a, a, a small victory, but a big victory for them because they knew that this was something that the Lord had done. There was no possible way for those walls to have fallen down and for them to defeat that city without the Lord being with them. And so they continued on in obedience to go and take the promised land for themselves. But maybe a mistake on the part of Joshua is that uh, instead of seeking the Lord, he sends out spies. And the spies make a recommendation. Oh, we don't need to send all of our troops there. Just send, you know, two or three thousand, right? We got this. Maybe a little overconfident. And maybe a first principle that I, I did not write down in our notes is this. If we're, if we're seeking to do something, we need to seek the Lord first. Because maybe if Joshua would have sought the Lord, the Lord would have told him, no, don't go. Don't go because there is sin. There is sin in your camp. And, and, and my blessing is not upon you. Actually, what, what had happened was before the walls of Jericho had come tumbling down, God had told Joshua that the whole city was to be devoted to destruction. Everything within it. Joshua 6, verse 18, if you'll glance over there, you'll see that Joshua told the people that... Uh, they should not take anything that was in the city, that everything had been devoted to, to destruction. And if they did, they would bring trouble upon the camp 
upon themselves and make themselves a thing for destruction. So his, his warning was, don't touch it, don't take it, uh, don't keep it, it does not belong to you. And that was the message that everyone got before the walls of Jericho fell. They knew that everything was to be devoted to destruction. But, as we find out, not everyone listened. A man named Achan, a soldier in the Israeli army, he didn't really seem to care. And so when he saw some things that he wanted in the city of Jericho, he took them and he hid them in his tent. And because he did that, because he disobeyed the Lord, 36 soldiers have now lost their lives. 36 families are experiencing grief. 36 wives have become widows. 36 sets of children have lost their daddy. And now the whole nation of Israel is being held accountable. It's not a good situation. We see what Joshua does as we keep on reading in verse, verses 6 through, through 10. It says, Then Joshua, he tore his clothes and he fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought these people over the Jordan at all to give us, to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Let me just stop there. Joshua knew. Joshua knew that if God's hand of blessing and guidance had not been upon him, and, and if it was not going to be with them, that they would utterly fail. That it would have been better if they had never entered into the promised land at all. In verse 8, he goes on to say, Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of land, they will hear it and they will surround us and they will cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? You know, often when we're facing a, a tragedy, we're facing some kind of difficulty, we, we think about our name, our own reputation, and we fail to remember that it is God's name and it is his reputation that is actually at stake. And that's what we see Joshua doing here. His actions, his prayer showed that his concern was not just for Israel, it was for the glory of God. What will you do for your great name? And here's how God responds. And it's not as we would expect. The Lord says to Joshua, Get up! Get up! Why have you fallen on your face. Now, what I hear God saying here is this. There is a time to pray and there is a time to move. There is a time to spend on your knees and there is a time to stand on your feet. And this was a time to get up and deal with the problem at hand. Keep on going. Verse 11. He says to them, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them among their own belongings. Verse 12, Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because, because they have become devoted for destruction. 
I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. So what do we see from, from, from that verse 11? Achan had stolen. Achan stole. But Israel had sinned. Israel had sinned. And here's the, here's the first principle that, that I want you to learn. If you're taking notes, first principle I want you to learn from this story of Achan is this, that every disobedience is destructive. Every disobedience is destructive. And you'll see that there's some companion passages there that we're going to look at in just a second. But what I want you to see from this passage is that sin is never a private matter. Sin is never a private matter. It always has an impact on not only you, but on other people. Emotionally, physically, even spiritually. Warren Wearsby, he he is quoted to have said, never underestimate the damage that one person outside of the will of God can do. I want you to just think about some Bible characters for a second. Think about Adam and Eve. Do you think that they realized at the moment that they sinned the impact that that was going to make? How'd it work out for them? Not very well. It's just one little piece of fruit. It's just something small. It's just a small thing, God. Well, small things matter to God. Ask Abraham. Remember what he did? He, he tried to have a child outside of the will of God with, with, uh, with, with Sarah's like servant, thinking, oh, God, you, you know, I'm going to help you out a little bit. You promised that I would have a son, but I, I think you need a little bit of help. Well, what happened to him? Ishmael was born. That did not turn out well. No. I mean, you, you could go down the list, ask, ask King David how it went with Bathsheba. Ask Jonah how it went fleeing, fleeing from God. It didn't go well. Ask Samson how it went with Delilah. How did it turn out? Church, what I want you to see is this. We are connected to each other. And what we do impacts each other. You may say, well, I, that's, just, that's just something private. Well, the Bible says that the church is a body. We are a body. And that's, that's where I want to just bring you toward for a little bit. We're part of one another. We need each other, and what we do affects each other. Let me just take you first. Um, I didn't list this in your bulletin, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, and you'll recognize these words. It says, for just as the body, he's talking about the church, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We've done a little bit of that right right today, haven't we? Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In fact, Jesus actually cares about his body so much that he tells us how to to care for each other when, when we find members of the body walking in sin. He, he, he tells us about how to do that. And this, this is the most loving thing that, that he talks about. And, it, and it's a beautiful thing related to the church that, that we are, we're to practice. He says in Matthew chapter 18, 
He says, if your brother sins against you, I would also add that there's passages that talk about if you see a brother living in sin and follows kind of the same pattern. Um, it says, go and tell him his fault. You'd be like, well, I'm not, I'm not supposed to judge, right? Actually, yeah, we're, we're as the body of Christ called to hold each other accountable to the word of God. And this, this is judgment. It says judgment should begin. The Bible says judgment begins in the house of God. Don't take that negatively. It's a positive because God is trying to train you in the pathway of righteousness. He says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't go gossip about him. Don't, don't tell everybody else about, about what's going on. Go and talk to him. And it says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Praise God. You've saved him. You've really helped him follow Jesus. But, but then in verse 16 it says, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You know, sometimes it, it, it gets to that point and, and the, the velvet vice of, of grace tells, tells uh, you know, Jesus is telling us, hey, if, if they're still persisting in sin and saying, no, I'm just going to go my own way, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to do me, right? We're to go and take, take two others with us, one or two others, so that we can lovingly plead with them to turn back to Jesus and stop living the way that they are. It's the most loving thing that we're called to do. Take one or two others along. Establish evidence together that they are, if they fail to turn around, that they are not following Jesus. Third step, verse 17, it says, if he refuses to listen to them, if in love you've come to them, you've tried to disciple them, to walk with them, but if they have still refused, and they call themselves a follower of Jesus, but are not following Jesus. Here's the step. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You know, Really what it, what it is saying is this. As a church, our loving step as a body is if there's a brother or sister that's living in sin, is to go and lovingly say, hey, go and plead with this person to turn back to Jesus, to stop pursuing what they, what they have in mind, to stop living the way they are because they're living out of step with what God has called us to be. And really the way that this ends is that if he refuses to listen, I'd add she, if she refuses to listen, then you are to let their testimony be a testimony against them, that they truly are not a follower of Jesus. And that's a hard step. That's a really hard step. But every step till that time has been one that is done in love. And even this last step is one that is done in love by just exposing them and saying, you call yourself a follower of Jesus. You say that you're going to heaven. You say that you placed your faith in him, but you have no faith in him. And so turn around. And realize the reality of what you're doing. Verse 18 says this. And we sing about this actually. And so this may explain to you what we sing. When we sing that song, Build Your Church. It says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
And so what we see from this passage is this, that a body that loves and cares for each other and serves each other, it also watches out for each other. We watch out for each other. That's the most loving thing that we can do. We're actually having a a membership class right at the end of our service. And this is part of what church membership means. It means that we're committing to each other. We're affirming that you're a follower of Jesus. And second, we're committing that we're going to watch out for each other. Now you'd be like, yeah, we're, we're pretty individualistic society. That's not what the church is. The church is a body. It's a community. When one member hurts, we all hurt. When one member is living in sin, we all feel the weight of that, feel the gravity of that. And we call each other to repentance and to faith. Our goal is to restore and love. That's the goal. Because grace is available in Jesus Christ. It's available. It's free. It's open. And that that call is for you. Whatever you're in right now, you may be feeling guilt right now. Man, let that guilt drive you to Jesus. Come to Jesus, okay? So every disobedience we know is destructive. Here's the second principle that we're going to see from this passage. It's that every sin comes in stages. You may be struggling with, with temptation and sin right now. I want to help you with, with just explaining how sin comes to us. And we actually see it through the story of, of Achan and uh, that companion passage we're going to go to in James. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 19. What we see in, in the in-between is that as Joshua prays, the Lord tells Joshua how to find the man that was responsible for this sin. And they go through the camp tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, and they narrow it down all the way to the family of Achan. And in verse 19, Joshua, he speaks directly to Achan. And he says, Joshua said to Achan, verse 19, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan said to Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord of Israel, and this is what I did. When I noticed the steps, I saw among the spoils, a spoil, a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them, And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Just uh, as you keep that verse up there, notice notice some of the stages that it took for Achan to sin. It says, he saw, he coveted, and he took. He saw, he coveted, and he took. I I, I believe that we've seen this same same steps before in Genesis chapter 3. Remember when Eve sinned? Eve sinned, the serpent came to her and says that, that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she, she saw that it was a delight to the eyes, she then desired it, she, she coveted it, she desired it to make one wise, and then she took of its fruit and she ate. It's the same three steps right here that we see Achan did. And I think there's actually something there symbolically, that is happening. Just as, just as the Israelites, this is crazy, as the Israelites crossed the Jordan into the promised land, it's almost like a new Eden. It's like God's, God's people were there. They were coming in sinless. And then 
an Eve-like figure messed everything up. That's basically like what happened in Genesis in the garden. And, and we see that relationship right there. It's, it's really interesting as you study deeply in Scripture how you see that. But there's actually more we're going to expose right at the end, okay? But these same three steps we saw in Genesis, as we see also, we see also in the book of James. And here I, I actually list four because there's four. Um, as we read the book of James, James actually, it looks like he's reading Genesis and he's reading Joshua 7 because he exposes then how the steps toward temptation go. Verse 13 of James chapter 1, it says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt anyone. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Notice the stages. Stage one, if you're taking notes. Stage one is desire. Desire. And we get that from verse 14. Now, we, we all have desires, don't we? We have desires that, that come from our belly, right? Hunger. We have desires that come from our mouth and our body. Thirst. That's a, that's a desire. Um, how, about, how about those desires that are deep within us for, for love and for fulfillment um, for purpose. These are, these are God-given desires. How about, how about our sex drive? That's even a desire. Did you know that your sex drive was given to you by God for good? But here's the problem. What's wrong is that we seek to satisfy our desires with things that are outside of the will of God. And, and I'll just give you an example. Eating is healthy, but gluttony is sin. Rest and sleep is healthy, but laziness is sin. Um, even work is healthy, and finding purpose in your work is healthy, but workaholism is sin. Um, even uh, sex within marriage is beautiful and healthy, but fornication and adultery is sin. And, and so we see that difference. You, you get the point, desire. Each person is lured and enticed by his own desire. If it's your own desire and it's not God's desire, it is going to be sin. And stage two is then deception. We see this also in, in verse 14 with those two words, lured and enticed. What does he mean by this? These are, these are two words that are, are hunting terms, actually. If you're a hunter, raise your hand. If you're a hunter, yeah, if you got a deer this year, raise your hand. Right? Or a turkey, yeah, okay, a few of you, yeah. Um, some of you are hunters, and, and, and you'll understand this, you'll be good at this, even if, if, uh, if you also are a fisherman, um, if you're into fishing, that's something you'll, you'll really get. Basically, um, these two terms are hunting terms, meaning to lead an animal or a fish from a place of safety into a trap. That's what's meant by this. And so I'm, I'm not really into hunting yet, but I am into fishing. And when you go fishing, you take your bait, something nice and juicy, and you put it on your hook, 
and then you cast it into the water in a strategic place, looking for, looking for where, that, where that nice bass is going to be, right? Darren's paying attention, right? Yeah. All right. I, I got his attention. It's like fish, 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 fish. All right. And when that fish sees that juicy worm or whatever you put on there, he's like, man, there's breakfast, right? There's my breakfast. He goes and takes that big chomp and what? He becomes my breakfast. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. Lured. There's actually that word, lured, right? Lured. Isn't that the point? Lured and enticed by his own desires. It's a trap. It's a trap. What was Achan's lure? What was his desire? Um, what we see is that it was clothes. A beautiful, a beautiful garment. Probably something really um, expensive. It was from, from a specific place. So obviously it was expensive. And then he saw a bunch of cash, man. There was money and there was like a gold bar. I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? And he was lured by it and he took it. He took it. All right? And when you have desire followed by deception, then you have a decision. Do I take it or do I leave it? So here's number three. You've got a decision. Stage number three. As you go on, read verse 15. It says, then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Whenever you face temptation, you have a decision to make. Will I keep it on or will I turn it off? Will I stay or will I walk away? Will I keep the lid open or will I close it? Will I keep it on or will I shut it off? Will I stay in that section of the store or will I leave that section of the store? Will I open the fridge or will I close the fridge? Whatever it is for you, you can, you can put that in, in your notes, whatever that temptation is for you. But what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 tells us about temptation is this. And this is, this is an assuring thing. And I want you to watch for it because it's going to help you when, when Satan is tempting you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that no temptation has overtaken you. If you are in Christ, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation... He will always, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So you have a decision to make. When Achan faced the decision, he chose to willfully take what God had said was to be devoted to destruction. He chose to willfully walk outside of the will of God. Will you make the decision to consciously take that open door that you are given every time that you are tempted to say no. I'm not saying that it's easy, but this is what Jesus has provided us. If you are following Jesus, he provides that open door. And so there's desire that leads to deception, leads to a decision, and leads to a fourth thing. It leads to stage number four, and that is death. Death. It says, desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Death is always a result of sin. Whenever we sin, it introduces a separation. Maybe it's just something that we see happens on the surface of our life. Maybe a relationship is broken. 
maybe trust is broken. We could go on and list some of the things that, that take place when we have sinned, when, when we know that we have done wrong. But Achan's sin, actually, what it did is it brought literal death. It wasn't satisfaction. It was not pleasure. Actually, what happened is what, what Scripture tells us, it happened immediately. The wages of sin is death. And Achan did die. And we're going to read about that as we end. Our sin, it separates us from a holy God. And that's what James, he says. When, when we sin, it brings forth death. And that is eternal separation from God. What scripture says is all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's me and that's you. We've all fallen short of his glory because God is holy. Our sin deserves judgment and punishment from God. But praise God, that's not the end of the story. It is not the end of the story. Um, Because even though sin will take you further than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and and cost you more than you want to pay, that is not the end. That is not the end of the story. I'm sure every one of us at one level or another has experienced the effects of sin. And here's the thing that I want you to know, number three, is that failure is not final. Failure is not final. Your failure is not final. These next few verses are going to be hard for you to read, but I want you to think about them in terms of the gospel because this is the Old Testament before Christ. We're going to see God in all his wrath. We're going to see his, his, the, the, the part of God that he is fully wrath and, and justice come out right here. It says, it says this, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, they found it. It was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and they brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all the people with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkey and his sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble upon us? This Lord, the the Lord brings trouble on you today. And all of Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. The Lord, then the Lord turned from his burning anger Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Now, as I said, that that is a difficult passage for us to read because we see that not only was Achan judged for his sins, but those that took part of the deception were also judged. All those that lived in his family, in his tent, his sons and his daughters, everything that they had was judged. They experienced the wrath of God immediately. And that, that's the seriousness of sin. That's the seriousness of sin that each of us need to realize is that that's actually what each of us deserve for our sins. But praise God for His grace. Because it's not the end of the story. This is not the end of the story. And that's why I need to share with you where else we see the Valley of Achor. See, the Valley of Achor, um, we, we see that mentioned in verse 26, don't we? It said the Valley of Achor, that place is called the Valley of Achor. What, what does that word Achor sound like? Doesn't it sound like Achan? 
I don't know if I shared this with you. The word Achan means trouble. They named the valley the valley of trouble. Indeed it was. It was a valley of trouble. And Achan was a troublemaker. So, so they use the same word in Hebrew. One is for a person and the other is for a place. They named that valley after the man who sinned in that valley and whose sin was judged. It was, it was, a, it was a pun. It, it was a play on words. They named the valley the valley of trouble. It was a place of sorrow, of judgment, of failure, of death. But as we said, that's, that's not the end of the story because there is some beauty that we see in this valley. This is not the last time that we see the valley of Achor mentioned in the Bible. Actually, there's two other places we see the valley of Achor. And the first one, if you want to look it up for yourselves, it's actually found in Isaiah chapter 65. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but, but there the valley of Achor is not talked about negatively. It's talked about positively. And in Isaiah 65, God says that the valley of Achor will be filled with pasture lands. Speaking of a future prosperity, healing, a valley of death will be a place of prosperity. It will be transformed from death to life. Okay, here's the second one though. Second one is in Hosea chapter 2 verse 15. And the setting for Hosea is actually very similar. It was, a, it, was a, it was a time where they were experiencing judgment and trouble. They were in the midst of trouble. And in the trouble, they were given by the prophet Hosea a glimpse of hope. And here we see in Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, it says, And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. A door of hope. Here's the good news. The prophet is saying that place, that place where Achan was judged for his sins, where Israel saw and experienced the wrath of God, that place that was associated with defeat and downfall and death and despair, that is going to be a place of victory. They didn't understand it then, but we understand it today, don't we? Jesus is telling them and he's telling you, I can take your trouble and I can turn it into triumph if you'll include me in it. I can take your defeat and I can turn it into delight. I can take the door of heartache and I can open a door of hope. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus, I see, he's the better acorn. He's the better He's the better Eve. He's the better Achor because what did he do? He experienced temptation. He experienced temptation just as we did, yet he was without sin. But Jesus, being the sinless Lamb of God, what he did is he, he took our sin upon himself. Literally what he did is he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He was killed just as Achan was killed. He was judged by God, not for his sin, but for our sin, that those who place their faith in him, he will then give his righteousness to. He will take your sin upon himself. He will cleanse you and make you clean. And by his blood, you will be healed. That is the message of Joshua chapter 7. The valley of Achor. Not a place of hopelessness, 
but a door of hope. And you know that you can, you can walk through that door of hope today? Did you know that? If you are outside of Christ today, you may be feeling the guilt and the weight of sin. But Jesus came to redeem. As we said, he experienced the judgment of God on your behalf. That those who place their faith in him might have hope, might have life eternal. And that's what we believe as Valley Church, what we believe that God wants to bring to this valley. That's why we named our church Valley Church, isn't it, right? This valley is a dark place. It's filled with a lot of hopelessness, a lot of despair. But into that valley of despair, Jesus brings hope. He opens a door of hope. So let me open that door for you today. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Why don't you stand with me? Stand with me, let's pray. If you want to take this moment right now, with your heads bowed, eyes closed, and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You want to walk through that door of hope. You can do, do so right now. It says in the Scripture, if you confess your sins, that Jesus is faithful and just, and He will forgive you of all unrighteousness. So those of you who would want to receive Jesus this morning, walk through that door of hope. Walk through that door, repenting of your sins, trusting in Jesus. Just raise your hand. I want to, I want to just lead you in a prayer. Yeah, praise God. I see your hand back there. Yeah. Yeah, anybody else? Anybody else? Say, I want to follow Jesus at this moment. Praise God. Yeah. With your hand raised, just pray this prayer with me. And those of us that are here in Christ, pray, pray this prayer in your heart, or you can pray it verbally if you want to, just thanking Jesus. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Pray, Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. I confess of and I repent of my sins. And I believe that you died on the cross in my place and you rose again. I believe that you alone are the way, the truth, and the life. Would you save me? Would you take my hopelessness and give me your hope? I give you all of me today and declare from this moment that you have full control of my life. Thank you for saving me and giving me hope. In Jesus' name, amen. As we keep on praying, God, we thank you for those that have just been born into your family. We thank you for the work that you're doing in this valley to restore and heal God people from this place of darkness into the in God, I pray that we would be people that are repentant of and that confess our sins and are following you, Jesus, as a, as a body of believers. We pray, God, that you would lead us to be people that are for the valley, for that place where people are finding themselves in darkness and despair and offering them the door of hope that is Jesus. We thank you, God, for the work that you're doing. Thank you for each one here. I pray your blessing and your favor upon them as we go. And we thank you, God, that you came to save the sinner, came to save the lost. Your love, your love is what, what has rescued us and redeemed us. So we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. 
There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.